Let's take our Bibles and open them to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 20. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 20. We've been studying through the life of the Lord, and, and uh, it's taken a great deal of time as we have studied through the four Gospels. And uh, we are up to just a few weeks before the Passion Week of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, in the last message and this message... The Lord is dealing with two extremely crucial lessons that are vital to the heart of the Christian life and the Christian faith. Here he's dealing with believers. The, these two lessons do understand that uh, this is not how you get saved. This is about how we live after we get saved. To get saved, it is simply by grace through faith. We, we, uh, have a, we understand that we are sinners. We understand that there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn, buy, or achieve our salvation, but that we must come through a heart of repentance and put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, once we're saved, the Bible has a great deal to teach us about how to live and how not to live. And here, the Lord, the Lord is starting to wind up his designated time of discipling and training his disciples because they would be responsible for continuing the ministry that he has started. And that is the, the local church and the great commission and the work that he establishes. And so we, we have that. And in that, he's teaching them not only what to do, 
but how to behave as we do it. And that is crucial. Uh, In Matthew chapter 19 and 20, we have these two paramount lessons about the heart of man and the heart of the ministry. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, that's an old book. It is an old book. Uh, The last of the books was written about 2,000 years ago. And so it is an old book. They say it's archaic. Well, they say it's out of date. Well, maybe not. Do you know, the heart and the nature of humanity never changes. The technology of man changes. But the heart and the nature of humanity never changes. And everything that is taught in this book is just as relevant today as it was the day God inspired for it to be written. And just as relevant as the day the Lord Jesus Christ taught this. Because the two issues that the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with in chapter 19 and chapter 20, that was a real problem with his disciples, is a real issue and problematic yet today. And that there's a classic example that the Bible is just as relevant today as it ever has been. The two issues that he deals with, one is money, and the second is power. In chapter 19, we dealt with chapter 19 uh, last week, and in that, verse 27, Peter said, We have forsaken all, and in essence, what's in it for us? What do we get? What's our profits? What's our investments going to yield over time? How much money are we going to get? How good is our retirement going to look like? Are we going to have plenty of bounty so when we retire, we we can travel and enjoy and, and do all of the things that we gave up while we did the ministry? You know, in essence, that was his question. I think one of the greatest, and the Lord reprimanded him and said, you know what? Just serve the Lord. He used a parable. Just serve the Lord and trust the Lord to take care of you. And the judge of all the earth will do right. That, that's the answer there. I think one of the greatest reproach of contemporary Christianity is that they have turned the ministry into a market. And they've turned it in how they can get money. I believe that is one of the great reproaches of today's Christianity. True, the, the worker within the ministry is worthy of his hire. And the Bible gives the protocol and gives the outline of how to compensate a pastor, how to compensate those within the ministry. But when it's all about making it a market, and it's all about how they can make uh, six-digit and beyond figures of, uh, of a very lucrative income and, and wealth and all of that. What that has brought into Christendom is widespread apostasy and worldliness. And you see, that was a problem then. That's a problem today. And the Lord taught what should be the heart of the servant. And that is just serve God and trust God. Now the second one is power. And this is in our chapter today with uh, chapter 20, and we'll begin reading at verse 17 in just a moment. But we see that 
humanity desires a position, prestige, and power. And as we look at the context of what we're going to read, and in both of these cases, these were crucial lessons that the Lord had to respond in his teaching to the disciples that were asking. Now, understand, in in both of these cases, these were some of the best men around the circle. But even with some of the better men, there are the weaknesses and there are the failings. And the Lord doesn't let the best get a free ticket and ignore their failings. He deals with it. And we can praise the Lord for that. And so we have a second good lesson. Now do understand, the Lord has promised rewards. The idea of rewards is not... And to think about serving the Lord and anticipating a reward, that's not bad in in and of itself. As long as we deal with it within the biblical perspective. But if the only reason we serve is by what we're going to get out of it, we got a problem. And God tells us we have a problem. The other thing is, if the only way we think we can serve is if we have a position, and that's the only way we can do it, again, we have a problem. Now, I said, position in and of itself is not bad. God ordained government. Government has positions. But the government was designed by God to serve the people, not the people to serve a dictator. Law enforcement is a good position, and they have to have the authority to be able to enforce their responsibility. There's nothing wrong with that. But they are here to serve. In fact, you'll see on many law enforcement vehicles to serve and to protect our community. Um, The pastor uh, position of pastor is a position of responsibility with authority and leadership. But we will see in Scripture today that it is also a position of serving. The wife is to serve the husband... But the husband is to serve the wife as well. And so, too many times we look at having a position so we can have prestige and power. And this is what was the problem within the context that we're talking about this morning. We are each to truly be a servant to whom those we lead and those we work with. So Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 17, if you're able to stand for the reading, I invite you to stand for the reading. Matthew chapter 20, I will begin reading from verse 17. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, We go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Here we see that he takes his disciples apart and privately once again announces what's going to be happening in a very short time. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him. 
and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Let me stop here. It's not that there are not positions at the right hand and the left hand. It's just it's not ours to aspire to, per se. And it's not Jesus' responsibility to give it to. It is a position that will be earned by serving Jesus Christ. Now let's continue. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know what the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, and what a text, what a lesson. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to what you have for us to understand, to learn, and to practice. And Father, I pray that each one of us would have a passion and a desire to serve you and to serve in the capacity and the way that you would have us to do. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to look at what the Lord has to teach us about serving and on this matter and and the challenge of wanting position, power, and prestige. Notice what precipitated this lesson. What happened that that the Lord uh, needed to teach this lesson? The Lord Jesus Christ is the master teacher by by all standards of measurement. He is a master teacher. And along life's journey, questions come up. Issues come up. And when they come up, the Lord dealt with them in a very graceful manner. And we see an issue coming up. And and we find in verses 17 through 19, he is announcing again to his disciples of his coming death, his coming sacrifice, and his resurrection. And, you know, the disciples, they, they really struggled with this. Because they shared a little bit of some of the uh, mentality of the Jews at large. They really had hoped he would overthrow the Roman government. And they were optimistic he would be the person to do that. Become the Messiah. Set up his kingdom right now. They knew he was God the Son. And they knew he was the Messiah. And they really wanted him to overthrow the government. And they looked forward to that happening now. 
In fact, uh, you'll find that Peter, when, when it got right down to the time, they, they said, no, no, you're not going to die. So they really struggled with that. And the Lord had to teach them over and over again, this is what's going to happen. We come to verse 20 and a key word, then. Now, I do not know if there is a certain amount of time that transpired between verse 19 and verse 20. If the Lord had taught this to his disciples and then they had been uh, dealing with other issues and fellowshipping and teaching and learning and and that, and, and then this happened... Or if immediately after he had said this, the the mother of James and John walks in and says, I've got a question for you. I have a request. I don't know what it is, but we do know that God has providentially put it right here following that statement. You know, the timing's not real good here. Here the Lord's talking about uh, going to have to die. And all of a sudden the mother says, hey, I want my two sons to have the two most prominent positions in your kingdom. Have you ever, after the fact, concluded that the timing of when I said this was bad? (laughs) I have one of those classic moments I have never forgotten. That it just, you know, the timing when I said it was not good. And this goes back when, when uh, Mrs. Miller and I were wanting to get married. And it was that time to ask her father permission for her hand in marriage for us to get married. And most guys understand this is a very nervous time. I, I don't care how, uh, where you're at in life. It's still a nervous point in life of going and asking uh, the father for permission to marry his daughter. It just is that way. And so we were there at the house. And uh, the, my whole purpose for, was being there. I knew he was there. And I was going to ask him for permission to marry his daughter. And how do you get to that conversation? Well, I was weak on diplomacy and didn't know how to get there. He was, he was a, a contractor, a builder, and uh, they had a rural place there. And he was looking at buying two or three feeder pigs to grow and butcher for, for meat. And since there at the farm and ranch, we had raised quite a little hogs. He thought I might have an opinion or answer or tell him how to do a couple of things. So here he is. He is talking about, well, I'm going to get these hogs and I'm going to do this. And I want to know how to do this. And I want to know this. Jim, can I marry your daughter? (laughs) That's how it came out. Timing. Timing just wasn't quite right. I got the answer I wanted. But do you know, sometimes timing in the way we say things is not quite right. You and I would look at this. How can they come in on such a thing that is so serious as this? And then ask a question like this. I'll not be critical about their timing. I've been guilty of bad timing myself. But here they they ask that question. And I believe this is the second great issue within Christianity that we need some great lessons from. It is a classic example of how even good men can get caught up 
with the ambition of a position? Power and prestige. These are... These have not been evil, malicious men. Now, there was a traitor amongst the bunch, and there's question about his integrity during the three years that he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. These men were guilty of ignorance. They were guilty of inexperience. They were guilty of immaturity. But they really did want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, here is an example of how good men and women can somehow get caught up in wrong thinking. And that's the problem here that he's dealing with. Pride gives ambitions towards greatness from men's eyes. In many people, this is a struggle you have to overcome even as a Christian. Wanting to be highly esteemed by others. Wanting to be liked by others. Wanting to be seen as great and popular and, and influential. That's not what this is about. That's not what the ministry is about. That's not what serving is about. You see, the, the first lesson was turning the ministry into a market and obsessed with what we can gain. Here is looking at the ministry as a means for position and power and greatness. Both of these, I believe, have brought some of the greatest reproach upon the Christian ministries and the local church. And you will discover that either one or both of these attitudes always causes a spirit of division. In verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. You see, when we have a wrong spirit, it always creates division amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ within the local church. And when division takes place, the church becomes a reproach for the name of Christ. I don't know how many churches I am aware of and I have encountered over the years as a Christian to where the church had a history of divisiveness in the church. I know a church in eastern Wyoming. I think they went through 19 pastors in 21 years. It was ugly. It was horrible. And it's because there was the divisiveness of who could control and who could have the power and who could run and who could have the money and and control all of that. And uh, it, it was really ugly. And, and it's sad enough for what was happening within that church. But where the greater tragedy was is that church, which was once, and I remember 
prior to all of this taking place, it was a tremendous lighthouse to that town and that community and souls were getting saved. It was a respected ministry and they respected the pastor and they looked to that for for being a light of righteousness in the community to where after it got about halfway through that, I had been around talking with some of the people in that community. They wanted to have nothing to do with it because they said, if that's what Christianity is about, we want to have nothing to do with it. And so we see how it brings a reproach upon the name of Christ and its local work. So here the Lord opens a window into what happens to a ministry when the pride and greed of humanity gets in the way. It brings division and failure. And then the Lord responds by teaching what should be the real heart within the work of the ministry by every Christian from the pastor to the layperson. So let's look at these lessons he has for us. In verse 25, the Lord begins by contrast. The work of the ministry is not to be patterned after the ways of the world. He says, uh, verse 25, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Beginning with verse 26, he says, But it shall not be so. This isn't how we run a church. This isn't how we serve the Lord. Our methods are not to be patterned after the ways of the world. And here again, an awful lot of churches are patterning their methods after the things of the world. Our management is not to be patterned after the ways of the world. The administration and things like that. And most importantly, our motives are not to be patterned after the way of the world. So he first teaches by contrast. Everybody knows how the government runs, how how business runs, knows the management. Everybody knows the attitudes of many that are involved in that. And the Lord says, that's not your pattern. The workings of the local church is to be dynamically different than that of the world. Then verses 26 through 27, the Lord teaches by instruction. First, he tells us this is what it's not supposed to look like. Now he is going to tell us what it is supposed to look like. In God's eyes, the path towards greatness is through serving. The title is Low Ambitions for Greatness. Now, I do not use the term low as in low integrity and low morality. I use the term low in the sense of humility, where we have a humble spirit. Humility is not a matter of, uh, of thinking low of ourselves because then we don't even see ourselves as God sees us. But it's simply not focusing upon ourselves. There's where humility is. And so uh, our greatest president, let me give you an example when we're talking about ambitions and positions. 
Our greatest president, I think, was our first president, George Washington. And I'm sure all of the revisionists are trying to destroy this. But one of the things that was extremely great about him, after he led our Continental Army to win the Revolutionary War and to secure our independence, he just wanted to go back to Mount Vernon, to his farm, to his operation, and live peaceably. He was not looking to be the next leader of our country or the first leader of our country. In fact, if I understand correctly, they had to beg him to take the first term. And they said, our country needs you. If, if they respect you, they'll follow your leadership. Our country needs you. And so he was willing to serve his country in that capacity. And if I understand history correctly, I think he served a second term and they had to beg him to serve a second term. And he was one that had the opportunity to cause us to continue being a constitutional republic or a monarch. And he opposed our country becoming a monarch. You see, he didn't seek a position. He didn't seek power. But he was willing to serve his country. To help it be what he thought God would have this country be. And and so, it's not a matter of seeking a position. Our, Our ambition and our passion ought to be to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and how he would have us serve. Now, in this teaching, I want you to notice two words that Christ used. He says in verse 26, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That word minister comes from the word, Greek word I understand, diakonos. It's the same word that is used for deacon. It simply means servant. Servant. Errand runner. Just take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. Normally it has that of a volunteer voluntary servant it could be used of a paid servant but let's continue on he said uh, let him be your minister and verse 27 and whosoever will be chief among you let him be your servant here's a different Greek word that is used and and now do understand I, I am not a Greek scholar I do not know Greek I have to trust those who I believe are trustworthy in how they handle the Bible languages to understand this. But I understand the Greek word that is used for servant is also used for slave. Do you know what? That's not real appealing to most of humanity. He says... All right, if you want to follow the path to greatness in God's eyes, be a servant, even to the point that you will serve like a slave. And this is what he is teaching us. And I assure you, it is not the pattern after the ways of the world. It is these two words, they are embodied in, 
in the traits of true Christianity for every Christian, for every believer. This is not just two words for the lay people of a church to serve and be a slave to the pastor. It is not that. I want you to take your Bibles and we're going to look. This, these two words are used for everyone from the pastor to the layperson and everyone in between. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 1. Paul How did he see himself before Christ? A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Turn to the end of this book, chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. And verse 1. Under inspiration, Paul says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is servant of the church, which is at Synthcrea. So here's just one of the ladies at the church that just had a real heart to serve and to minister one to another. Turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse 19. Paul said, For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Paul not only referred to himself as a servant, but he had a spiritual commitment to that spirit within his heart, within his service, and within his life. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. In verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, he was writing to the church and he was one of the men that had been sent as a representative of that local church to come and help Paul and and take care of some things with Paul. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. And it continues on there. Paul was recognizing here is a man that was working with him. He said he has a real, true servant's heart to serve Christ. First Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3. Verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave. And it goes on and describes the deacons. The term deacon... Diakonos is servant. It was never identified as some ruling body in in the Bible. They were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet they even had qualifications. It was an office. Here is another one. 1 Timothy 4, 6. Here it's talking about the pastor. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Paul is talking to Timothy and instructing him in the do's and don'ts of the ministry. But here he's talking about the heart and the spirit behind the work of the ministry. And that is a heart of a minister, which means to serve. Another one, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. 
This James is the half-brother of, of Jesus Christ. James 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw himself as a servant. Do you understand? Here's one. And the next one. Let's go to the next one, Jude. Jude. Jude 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Now, the James who wrote the book of James was not the brother of John or the sons of Zebedee. This was another James. This was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And Jude would be his brother. During the life ministry of Jesus Christ, his brothers really did not accept who he was. It wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they finally realized who their half-brother really was. And they became servants of Jesus Christ. This is how they identified themselves. Do you know what? It is one thing to say, I'm the servant of the Lord. It is even another thing to say, I'm a servant of the church. And we could probably even go a little further. I'm a servant to one another here. But how do you say you're the servant of your half-brother? Now savvy that. They knew who he was. And even they had the heart of a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. One more revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. This is John, the son of Zebedee, one of the two boys whose mother was vying for the positions in the kingdom. You see... From whatever, from, from a position, whether it be an apostle, a pastor, or a lay person. It's not about your position. It's about your passion to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not need a position for which to serve the Lord, but simply an ambition to be a servant of the Lord, which includes serving others. Finally, in verse 28, let's go back to Matthew 20. Finally, in verse 28, the Lord taught by example. One of the things that I really did not like hearing when I was growing up is do as I say, not as I do. I decided as a father, I would never tell my kids that. And I would never live such that I would have to tell my kids that. I wanted to be an example of what I am asking and telling and teaching them to do. You know what? That's how Christ did it. And I just want to learn from him. In, in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and not to give his and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, as the Messiah, as God the Son, 
who has absolute sovereignty over all creation with his Father. Turn to Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. He demonstrated in his life what it meant to be a servant. You will also find an example of it in John chapter 13. And in that particular chapter, it records of that upper room meeting with his disciples. And after the meal, he he, uh, uh, robes himself in such a way and grabs a towel and he washes the feet of the disciples because evidently it hadn't happened before that time. That was the job of a slave or a servant. And Peter says, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And the Lord says, if you don't let me do this, you don't have a part with me. But he was demonstrating what it meant to serve with all lowliness of mind. And then Paul said in Philippians, put ye on the mind of Christ. He not only served man's lesser needs of washing their feet, feeding the thousands, and healing, but also serving man's greatest need, and that is a Savior and a substitute who could pay our sin debt so we did not have to spend an eternity in hell. So here is... The great question, do you have low ambitions for greatness? Low in the sense of a heart of humility with a spirit of of a true servant. You do not need a position for serving. That doesn't negate positions within the church. But you don't have to have a position. You can just serve. You can just reach out to needs. I know many are, and most are unspoken, but we would probably have two or three pages worth of needs represented just by the people here today. If we care enough to reach out and find out what those are. Just have a heart and a passion to serve. Sadly, in men's eyes, greatness is seen in position, power, and prestige. And it will always cause unnecessary division. However, in God's eyes, greatness is seen within a humble heart of serving. I do have one final question to close this out with. In whose eyes do you wish to be seen great? In the eyes of men or in the eyes of the Lord? As I started out, I said, this message is for Christians. A person that is without Christ, that is lost, 
even if you serve in the greatest capacity of what somebody could serve, that doesn't get you saved. You're still lost. You still go to hell. What you first need is to understand that you are a sinner and that you need to come to Jesus Christ through repentance and faith unto salvation. But for those of us that are believers, I trust that every one of us, I preach to you, I preach to myself. I trust that every one of us will use these two great lessons taught by Jesus Christ to examine our hearts about our purpose, our motive, and our heart as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you this morning, and and wow, what lessons. These are driving questions, driving lessons. And Father, let us not go backwards, but let us examine ourselves and move forward in Christ. Let us become greater servants because we have a greater heart to be a servant. Let us reach out and do what you would have us to do and minister to whom you'd have us to minister. And just let us be a blessing. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Once more, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are...
of financial advisor are you looking for? A lot of advisors work for some great companies that offer good products, but are they taking a close look at what truly matters to you? Most advisors are unfortunately one-trick ponies and come at you with the same strategy no matter what situation you are in. Most of the time, your advisor isn't even reaching out to you to review things and has no desire to actually build a relationship with you. You want to work with someone who's going to hustle their butt off and compete for you and make sure that you are maximizing 
prizing your hard-earned dollars. I will work day and night for all of my clients and do everything in my power to deliver the best service possible. Reach out to me, Joey Jaquin, Joe Jaquin's son, someone who is going to compete for your business and truly aligns with your conservative values. You can reach me at my personal cell, 602-909-9048. Again, 602-909-9048. This is Rick Rodriguez. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Join me on Sundays from 9 to noon for the Olive Tree and Lampstand Ministry Radio Church Program on 1360 AM KHNC. Hi folks, Joe Jaquin here from the Half Empty Cup of Joe Show. Are you worried about investing in the stock market, especially with Joe Biden in office? Do you really trust this economy? What if you could invest in a secure, collateralized portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly and there are no fees. You can turn your income on or off compound it whatever you choose and get this there's absolutely no loss of principal if you ever need your money back go to investyrefi.com that's invest the letter y r e f y.com or call 888yrefi24 you can earn a fixed rate of return that's up to 10.25% just call 888yrefi24 or go to investyrefi.com and tell them Joe sent you As the economy collapses, are you prepared to provide even basic essentials for your family? I teach Urban Survival Training course that arms you with hundreds of skills and hacks to keep you and yours going when everyone else gives up. Food and water are only the beginning. Call the Rev at 303-809-3343. That's 303-809-3343. Hi, this is Tammy Cuthbert Garcia with Naturally Inspired Radio. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. for the latest in natural health news. Get real solutions for healthy living and hear from our inspiring guests that are leading the way in health and freedom. This is Clay with Wagner Electric Company. We're out of Greeley. We're here to promote our Generac and Cummins standby generators and our service to the community with any electrical needs. We're located at 1517 2nd Avenue in Greeley, 970-800-3693. The biggest thing that we want to promote is that we set the standard and we're here to support you and your needs. 970-800-3693. Desta emails, Epstein Island, Hunter's laptop, the 2020 stolen election. What truths are they hiding? Find out this and more on Just Informed Talk Radio, weekdays from 7 to 9 a.m. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, 1360 a.m., KHNC, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. <laughs> 